ready to create and grow the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. A bigger audience, more impact, and a new revenue stream. We'll show you how. I'm Jenny Barcelos. And I'm Sandy Connery. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. everyone. Welcome to episode 25 of the Soulful MBA podcast. I'm Jenny Barcelos and I'm joined with my co-host Sandy Conry. Hey Sandy. Hi Jenny. Hi everybody. And today's episode is all about gig. gig. So Sandy, you were vying for this as the title of the episode. So why don't you tell our listeners why we are calling today's episode gig? Sure. I think that it's it's just, it's an interesting short word and people are wondering, is it, are we going to talk about gigabytes? Or I hope not. That would be a really, <laughs> really boring, boring, really boring podcast episode. We yeah, could talk about we could talk about gigabytes if we, we wanted could. to. And yeah, no, we're not. We're talking <laughs> about the gig economy and how it's sort of shaped uh, our new workplace, our new workforce, and you know how things are changing and shifting, and what the new trends are with the way that people are working and creating jobs. So that's mm-hmm. what we're talking about: the new gig economy. Yeah, and how the economy relates to us and to all of you. So we came across an article in The New Yorker a few weeks ago called The Gig is Up. Uh, and it's the subtitle of this is many liberals have embraced the sharing economy, but can they survive it? And I fell in love with this article and thought it was so fascinating. And then I told Sandy, I get the paper copy of the New Yorker because I signed up for the free trial when I moved and then never canceled it. So I got billed and I'm actually grateful to get the paper copy of a magazine again, because it sort of forces me away from my screen when I want to read sometimes. But anyway, I read this article and then I immediately found it online and sent the link to Sandy in Slack. And, and it was like 25 pages. It took me two days to get through it, but I did it. And I was like, we need to do a podcast on this because it just raised so many issues for me. And I've thought a lot about freelancing and the gig economy. And I really think it has essentially created businesses like ours and, and, and created the need for businesses like ours. And, um, and we'll get into more of that later. But I just thought it was so interesting to actually take this 30,000 foot view of the shift that we're seeing socially and culturally happen in our economy and why so many people who would have never become entrepreneurs are now becoming entrepreneurs and identifying as such. So we just kind of wanted to tease this apart and share our own thinking on this with you all and sort of talk about why we think it's important that you pay attention to this trend. Jenny, why don't you just describe exactly what that term refers to? Well, without a scientific reference here, I'm just going to sort of give you my take on it. So the gig economy is essentially the shift into a freelancing economy where more and more people, particularly professionals who in a previous era would have had a traditional office career, are now increasingly doing side work, either as a full-time job or in addition to their desk job, that sort of is, is made up of and comprised of a whole bunch of smaller gigs. So if you're a graphic designer, it means that you take on side design projects, making logos or making business card designs. And if you're a yoga teacher, it means that you take on doing private client work or doing online business work. So it, it's just essentially this shift to, to doing more and more freelance work, whether it's totally on your own in an entrepreneurial venture or it's through, you know, driving a car for Uber or doing errands under TaskRabbit or, you know, working for one of the bazillion other startups, at least that we have in the U.S., that allow you to do small sort of minute and mundane tasks for other people on an hourly rate. 
Yeah, it, it's the sort of the poster children for uh, the gig economy would be Airbnb and Uber. But I think it also includes that that term also includes like, as you described, independent contractors and the on-demand workers or remote workers. Yeah, so it's a lot of people. If you think about who you know, or even yourself and your partner, you can think about how many people are actually taking up kind of this gig economy lifestyle. And for, for the U.S., for those fellow Americans who are listening, we're, it's about 35% of the workforce at this point. So th- like more than a third of the U.S. workforce is engaged in this gig economy. So it's a huge percentage now of our economy, and it's growing every single year. Yeah, and I read, I did my research for this this episode. Go, I was Sandy, quite proud go. of myself. Go, I Sandy, went go. into the archives of the Canadian government. No, I actually, just this month, or sorry, last month, April 2017, the uh, Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives uh, released a survey of gig workers in the greater Toronto area, the GTA. And so that's what I read. So I learned a lot about how it's working in Canada, but it's primarily a lot of the on-demand workers are, are the companies are mostly around Toronto. So it doesn't really apply to all of Canada, although it's slowly kind of creeping its way. And the numbers are pretty close to the U.S., oh, yeah. right? Sorry, Sorry that was my point. 20 to 30 percent of, of the workers in Canada are part of the gig economy. So a yeah. little less. So that's huge, though. And I mean, we're not going to get into international an international conversation beyond North America, but that's a huge percentage of like the lives of people where we live. I mean, so many of us, ourselves included, are participating in one way or another in this economy. We certainly use freelancers and professionals to do a number of jobs in our company. And we have at times been part of the gig economy ourselves. And I would say our software is essentially structured around helping people thrive in this new economy. So I I think it's really important that we as sort of founders of a software company engage in this space are paying attention to these trends. Um, And in a way, it's really exciting and refreshing. Uh, Being part of the gig economy allows for greater freedom in the workforce. It allows for people to sort of do the tasks that they're interested in doing or skilled at doing to work on their own hours and their own time frame to be able to take vacations and and breaks when they need to. But it also leaves some social protections sort of um, Mm -hmm. dangerously missing from from that economy. Right. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. What did you what sort of stood out to you Mm -hmm. most about reading this New Yorker article and also the Canadian research that you dove into, Sandy? Yeah, I I I think it's in, I think there's so much talk on the internet about like I want I want to have the freedom and I want to have new income and new revenue and I want to I don't want a boss and I you know there's so much chatter about that and that's sort of what's driving this whole gig economy especially with the millennial demographic and um, the downside of it is that that you don't have a regular paycheck that you don't know if you're going to be able to pay your rent next month and in Canada People who choose to work as a, as a worker in the gig economy don't necessarily have any kind of protections like minimum wage or, you know, overtime or sick pay or anything like that. So you're really on your own. You're really like, it's all up to you. You are responsible for for everything that may come your way. Uh, for employers, it's a lot cheaper, right? Because they don't have to pay for the insurance and they can just pay you on an hourly or, or um, per project basis. And it's much cheaper for the employers. So they, they like it and the employees get more, you know, more freedom and can charge and can charge a higher rate because they don't, their amount 
part of their money, part of their rate doesn't go to all the expenses the employer has to cover. So I can see both sides of it, but you are really open to if you're sick, if you're out for a few weeks, there's there's no, you know, there's nothing to cover you. You're not part of the Employees Act. Yeah. And in, in the U.S., I, I, the, I think that the safety net is even less so, right, in the U.S., because we we don't have you know universal health care we don't have government run health care for the most part in this country and so not only will you not be paid if you're sick and unable to work but you also will not have health insurance unless you have bought it yourself you know, in order to cover you to be treated for your illness so i think right. it raises really important social considerations and i and i think that's part of why i wanted to talk about it it's just it's it's really important to tease out the fact that so many people want to have the freedom to do the kind of work that they love on their own terms. And that's what our brand supports wholeheartedly, but it's a whole other element to be able to make sure that you're doing so in a way that's responsible to yourself, your future and your family. And I think that's the part that doesn't get talked about in entrepreneurship, at least online very often at all. And, you know, I, I have personally felt the stress having become an entrepreneur of not knowing, you know, how much or if I would be paid the next month, like the last three and a half years of my life have been incredibly, at least emotionally insecure for me to go from um, thinking that I would be, you know, a lawyer the rest of my life and sort of be financially secure and, and, and like know how much money I was going to have coming into my bank account to then become an entrepreneur and not know that and and have everything sort of be up on the up in the air every single month is a whole other conversation. And I know that's how a lot of our clients feel as well, who are using our platform or who are engaged in our soulful MBA business program. So I think that it's important to call, you know, to call that out, that that's also part of the conversation that you have a, a bit of uncertainty that you wouldn't have maybe otherwise had, had you had a traditional job. But then the flip side to it, Sandy, is that those traditional jobs are increasingly going away. So it's not really, for many people, it's not even a choice anymore. Yeah, there's the gig by choice and gig by force. And so, yeah, that for sure is a concern. And and in in Canada, it is a little bit different because, yes, we have to worry about where our next paycheck check comes. And we, of course, we have, you know, the the cost of living to cover. But if we had a cancer diagnosis or broke our leg or something horrible like that, I I know I'll be taken care of. Like, it's just not an issue. I will not be, be hit with, you know, any, anything like it would be all covered, but we do, but the, the, the gig workers up here have to have, uh, it's very affordable, uh, fairly affordable to have like extended health insurance. It's not, you know, I mean, it's, it's still, a monthly cost, but it's nothing like what you guys have to, to deal with. So that is in Canada, that is a, you know, a real blessing that we have that, that healthcare set up. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is. We've, our team has talked at length about this. I remember at our last team meeting when we were in person, we sort of have an even team, you know, some Canadians and, and some Americans that were there. And it was really interesting to hear the different perspectives that we all had when it came to things like healthcare, like casual conversations about like, what is this like for you guys? And what is it like for you? Really revealed some, you know, some, some fascinating differences between our two countries. And the fact that I think, you know, one of the things that I, I was taking away from that conversation that we had, Sandy, in Seattle last month, was the fact that I think that that sort of like raise them up by your bootstraps American ambition when it comes to business and entrepreneurship is in large part driven by the fact that 
you, it's like a matter of survival for some people that you, you need to win and crush it and be successful or else like you don't have a safety net there to protect you. Like you're kind of screwed. If you don't have the family resources or a career to fall back on, that's going to support you. If you get sick or if something happens to you that makes it so that you can't work, I mean, it's just, you know, a few steps away from sort of like personal apocalypse. And if you're an American and bankruptcy, homelessness, like unable to be treated for a catastrophic illness. I mean, the list goes on and on. And you all, the Canadian side of things don't have those same things to worry about. So that, that was a really, I think for me that, that makes, helps me to understand why those of us who are American are maybe ambition is a little bit more woven into sort of the fabric of our being because it, it's like a survival metric. I don't know. That's just my own, like yeah, very I would un- say unproven that, theory. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's it, in no way is it perfect up here, but me striving to succeed at business is not focused on my survival. Yeah. Right. Like I think that's a big distinction. Like if I end up homeless on the streets, God forbid with something, you know, severe diabetes, I can walk into a hospital and be taken care of. Yeah. Um, that's really that's, different. Like, yeah. So it's not, you know, it, it, that, that just doesn't survival is not a word I, I would use, but yeah. Well, and, and what's really interesting to me about this is, is I, I think p- part of this conversation over the past month that we've been having around this topic has led me to think about, so where do we go from here as you know, as a culture, as a team internally and as a brand, and what can we do to sort of support our clients in making sure that they're set up for success? Because for many of them, especially those American clients that we have, which is about half of our client base for Namastream, I, I think that it's the responsible thing for us to be able to show folks how to be successful because it, in in many cases, they're sort of like financial security is at stake. And I, and I take that very seriously. And so one of the, one of the kind of ways of thinking, one of the, the tracks that we've been developing is just this, this conversation around sort of employee to freelancer to entrepreneur. And I'm borrowing this like very heavily from Seth Godin's work um, because he makes a really clear distinction between being a freelancer and an entrepreneur, which we've talked about a bit before. And I actually, I've started to think about it in a linear way on along a trajectory so that you go from having the mindset and sort of the mentality of an employee to then shifting into this freelancer slash gig economy lifestyle, which it often is a, a side hustle. Doesn't it often go starts full. right? It often starts as a side hustle and then grows into more of a full time situation. And I think th- the danger that I've seen is that a lot of people think that's enough, or, st- or or like plan to stay there, or get stuck in that freelancer world. And for most people, that's a tricky and sort of dangerous place to live because you never know, you know, when your next job is is coming where it's coming from. Some people like don't know week to week how much income they're going to bring in or month to month or, you know, sometimes quarter to quarter. And I think unless you have a very unique skill set that's highly valued, it's a really dangerous place to, to stay. So it's sort of a necessary part of the path to entrepreneurship, but not a place to, that you're going to want to end up for the long term. And I, and I think that that's 
that's where the, a lot of the conversation breaks off. Like there's, there are so many business programs and training programs and software tools designed to sort of help you be a better freelancer and you know, how to be more organized when you're managing client work. And there's just so much of this out there. And I think that's really important to a degree. And then, okay. So once you've mastered being good at this, this skill or this tactic, and, and you've learned how to sort of run a business as a freelancer and build your side hustle into something sustainable, then, then where, where do you go from there? Because remaining as a freelancer to me is dangerous. So the next stage is entrepreneurship. Just to clarify, the danger that you're worried about is that people won't, It's you're still swapping time for money and that if your child gets sick or like, it's just not a consistent source of money. Is that, is that the danger? Yeah, I, I think it's not consistent. I think that you're fully beholden to the randomness of the people that hire you. Sort of like, is your skill set going to be needed next year? Are there going to be enough people who need you? Are there, is the market for what you do going to become so crowded that your rates are going to be diluted? I think all of those things start to contribute to insecurity in this freelancer lifestyle. And, you know, we have a lot of coaches and sort of like private yoga teachers and personal trainers in our community who are our clients. And I think that we're seeing this play out in, in our network as well, where, you know, as more and more people are taking that on, that the market for those services becomes a little bit saturated. And what I, what I want to encourage everyone to do is sort of embrace the next stage of this kind of employment journey, which is to become an entrepreneur and to embrace what that means. And I, you know, we haven't, we talk about ourselves as entrepreneurs, Sandy, and we talk about the concepts of entrepreneurship a lot on this podcast, but we don't really get into the nitty gritty of the distinction between doing freelancing work and sort of online gig work versus actually taking on this identity of entrepreneur. And I, I think today it makes sense to start to touch on that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's incredibly valuable. And I don't think in most people's mind, there is a clear distinction between freelancer and entrepreneur. I think it blurs together because as long as you don't have a boss, then you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, that's not true. Right. <laughs> Maybe you're a baby entrepreneur as a freelancer. You're sort of in like the infant stage of entrepreneurship, but it's a really different thing. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is a tool designed to help you teach, train, and coach from anywhere on the planet. If you're a wellness professional looking to take your business to the next level, you can learn more at namastream.com. So one of the ways that entrepreneurship is different is that you are able to leverage your work. So when you're freelancing, as Sandy said, you're trading time for money, like you're serving one client, you're coaching one client at a time. And it's something that by going online, for example, you can add a little bit of leverage to because you eliminate things like travel time. However, it, you're still going to end up running up against a roadblock of trading you know, your personal time for the amount of work you can do and the number of clients you can take on. And while you may not have a boss, you're still, you know, you're still running up against a ceiling. And we the boss want, is are your clients. Your clients yeah, you have a lot of you have a lot of bosses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so when you are an entrepreneur, it's a little bit different. So you actually out you are your boss and you're able to I think the better you get at entrepreneurship, the more you can leverage your time. Um, and I think 
entrepreneurship to me is an evolving concept where you're constantly iterating on what you can build and create and scale. You're creating products, digital products or packages that you can sell um, one to many people. So you put a lot of time into making things that are really, really good, like a really good ebook or a regular book or a course or a membership, and you're able to sell that at scale. And as you master creating one thing, then you build another thing and you end up having sort of a whole suite of offerings that you create. That That is the sort of typical kind of entrepreneur in our market. Now, we also are, we ourselves are entrepreneurs um, because we have a software company, a software company is another way to be an entrepreneur, right? Where we create, we put a lot of time and money, like a lot, a lot, a lot of time and money into creating a tool. And then we sell the tool at scale, right? That's the model that we have. And so we build something much more elegant and powerful than we could ever create for one single client because no one would ever be able to afford it. But we create this big tool, this powerful tool, we're always improving it. And then we can sell the tool to lots and lots of people. And that's another model of entrepreneurship. I mean, you could go down the line, right? Like, but those are, those are sort of the, some of the major ways that you would be an entrepreneur. And you can see how it's different than freelancing because you're not working one-on-one with clients in almost any capacity. Um, and we do a little you, bit of you, freelancing, You can Sandy. still do a, a little bit of that and just keep in contact with the market, not saying yeah. never work yeah, one-on-one No, that's again. our side hustle. Like we as entrepreneurs, our primary role for each of us is we're entrepreneurs. And then we also do a little bit of side hustling as freelancers in the sense that we do some private co- coaching and consulting um, for some folks in our market. Like it's very rare and it's not something that we advertise, but we do that occasionally and I think we both really enjoy it, but it wouldn't be sustainable for us to have that be what we did all day with our time because then we wouldn't be able to be entrepreneurs and run our software company, right? So I I think that that's a really important distinction that part of the way that you build security for yourself and your family and that you build a legacy is by transitioning from employee to freelancer and then ultimately to entrepreneur. And if you get stuck in that freelancer place, you're never really going to have the security that you need unless you are the very best in the world at what you do. And, and this goes back to Seth Godin. Seth has talked about how he has played the role of both entrepreneur and freelancer in his life. And for him, personality wise, freelancer is the best fit. He does not really want to manage a team. He doesn't want to focus on growing something really big. He wants to have his own ability to do the work he likes to do individually and to give talks to, to sort of write his blog and and take on projects as he feels compelled to take them on. And, and that is what happens when you're the very best in the world at what you do. You can make that choice and have that kind of financial security as a freelancer. I mean, that man does not need to work, right? Like, so, so freelancing to him is like his passion project. It's his fun. It's his hobby. Right. But for most people, freelancing is the way they put food on the the table and and pay the rent or the mortgage. And and to me, I guess I just want to call out the fact that while freelancing is a really important step in the journey to becoming an entrepreneur, we want to encourage you not to stay there. Yeah, I've also heard this described as productize. So getting out of the the thinking of like, I have a service and I do graphic design or I, you know, do coaching or whatever it may be. But 
to, to make that shift, you've got to create your knowledge and your skills, your service into some kind of tangible product. So there's um, lessons to it, or there's a package of videos, or there's, you know, a PDF worksheet and a whatever, you know, you want to augment with it. But it's like you're turning it into a thing as opposed to a, a service. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I think that there's sort of Again, there's a lot of steps that we're leaving out and there are a lot of different ways that you can ride this path or walk this path. And one way that I've seen a lot of service-based companies and business owners productize their work is to sell, for example, only packages um, of, of what they do. So if you are a coach, you would sell like a minimum of 10 sessions and that they're, they all sort of follow a, a typical pattern. And that, that, that way this coach sells like 10, she has only 10 different clients and they're all on a package, right? Or if you are an accounting firm and you, you maybe take on um, people who pay you a monthly fee to retain you. And so you take on maybe 15 client, 15 business clients and you're available on call for 15 people. And that's a way for you to sort of productize what you're doing rather than selling individual hourly services. Um, so that's like one stage, but you're still not fully leveraged at that point, right? Like you're still running up against a limit. It's still about how much you or your team can show up in person hourly to be responsive to your clients. It's better than selling one-off services or hours of your time. It's, it's like further along towards the entrepreneurial spectrum, but it's still not fully leveraged. And what we want to encourage everyone to do is to get to a point where they're fully leveraging themselves, where and by fully leveraging, it means that you're putting your heart and soul into something that and then you can take to market at scale. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Sandy, so we've talked a little bit about the spectrum from employee to freelancer to entrepreneur. And I think this is something we'll return to in the podcast. And we talk about a bit in our own community, but I also want to talk about another distinction here. And there's two parts to this puzzle, like the transition from from the employee to the entrepreneur requires a great deal of learning and education around skills, skill set change and skill set building. Like you have to learn different tactics and, and elements of your trade to be successful along that spectrum. But it also requires, more importantly, a huge shift in mindset. And that is a big missing part. You can buy course after course after course on tactics and how to and you know, workbooks on, you know, how to make this tool work and that tool work better. But you have to shift fully into the mindset of an entrepreneur. And yeah. that is, I think, you know, we've mentioned kind of falling into the victim mode. And that's where we start to see people complaining, or I this doesn't work, or this is, you know, and, and we all have those moments of frustration. But I think the ones that are truly embracing that entrepreneur Spirit are the ones who will get down to work and figure it out and do what it takes, buy whatever they need to buy or hire whoever they need to hire and, and, and make, you know, make that transition, make it work. Yeah. I think it like, maybe this is not going to sound very loving, but I sort of think this is like tremendous adulting. <laughs> like <laughs> I forget what, what like book my child reads that there's like a tremendous mouthful. Oh, it's, it's like blueberries for South. For those of you that are moms or dads that are listening, there's this classic children's book called blueberries for South. Anyway, there's this like little bear that eats a tremendous mouthful of blueberries. And I think that part of becoming an entrepreneur is 
like sort of tremendously embracing this concept of adulting. And it's, it's like not accepting the fact that you're confused or don't know, or that you're stuck. Like you don't allow yourself to stay in that mentality for very long, or you'll meet your demise (laughs) because, Mm -hmm. because entrepreneurship is like a constant evolving series of hurdles that you're just going to have to jump through as you advance. Yeah. And I think, it, it, it comes really into the light when, when you try something like maybe, for example, you try to do a, a webinar or you try to get somebody to sign up for something and nobody signs up and you go, oh, crap, that really sucked and it didn't work. Like this doesn't work. This whole thing doesn't work. And it's like, no, if you don't see the signups that you're expecting or need, you need to get on the phone and start calling people. You need to start personally inviting people or you need to like, it's like this deep down hustle. Like you need to do whatever it takes to make this work. You can't just shrug your shoulders and go, huh, didn't work. Nothing. Got nothing. Like that's not an entrepreneur. No, no. And and I, I think just to be fair, no one, no one is an like almost no one is born with this. Right. So it's, it's a matter of learning it. It's a learned behavior. Entrepreneurship is, and that mindset is something that grows over time. Like every time you're able to overcome a challenge or conquer something, like you become a little bit better at this mindset. So there's never like, you can have disappointment. I think we still all the time have disappointment, Sandy, you and I both do, but like, you can't stay there. It's, it, it's like you can accept it and feel it and like sort of like wallow in it for 10 minutes or an hour. And then it's like, okay, what could I have done to avoid this? What can I do better? Where do we go from here? And I, and I think that's just part of the mindset. And the, with like, as we've talked about, this economy is shifting, like we're shifting from um, in North America from an economy that was largely run by a handful of multinational corporations and small businesses where there was a traditional expectation that you were going to go into a career and work in that career for the rest of your life to now we're seeing increasingly people who do stay in a corporate environment or, or a traditional work environment are shifting jobs every two years. And then increasingly beyond that, we're seeing people leaving the workforce altogether because a, there are these other opportunities and B, because fewer and fewer of those jobs exist. And, you know, it just makes me think, Sandy, there's this other article we were talking about this week that was in the Huff Post and it was written by another female startup founder who's bootstrapping. And most of the article is irrelevant to this conversation. We'll link to it in the show notes in case you're interested in seeing it. But I remember this, this woman who wrote this article was talking about how like more and more people are being forced into entrepreneurship because they can't get a traditional job. And so because of that, the face of entrepreneurship is changing before, you know, the kinds of people who became entrepreneurs were people who typically went to business school or they were some sort of like technical savant and that they were making computers in their garage. We all know those stories and then becoming a, you know, starting a company. And that, that was like the face of entrepreneurship for 50 years. And now entrepreneurship is is like changing so much because so many people are kind of forced into freelancing and then ultimately entrepreneurship because they can't have the career that they expected to have because the economy has shifted. And so because of that, I think what it means to be an entrepreneur is changing. And like the, the mindset that is, is sort of like that ambitious cutthroat mindset that a lot of people used to have. Most people going in now don't have it. And so it doesn't mean we, we not need ready. to have, yeah, they're not ready. It doesn't mean like we, we don't have a cutthroat mindset, Sandy, and we're succeeding. We're, we're having a, like a problem solving mindset, but it's very deep problem solving, right? Like it's, it, there's a mm-hmm. lot of hustle in that. 
Yeah, I, I, I find that person fascinating that is sort of forced into this economy to create their own business without that sort of long dream of being an entrepreneur and running their sh own show. And like, it's, it's, it's like a really distinct, you know, set of skills that they need that they weren't really necessarily wanting or excited to learn. Like they're sort of forced into this. Like, it, it's curious to me, like, will they make it? Well, I mean, some of them will probably be like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever and really adapt and, and, and change and, and be that entrepreneur. And then some others I bet will just return to, to a traditional, you know, nine to five kind of job. If they can get one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I that, yeah. that's the hard part, right? It's, it's becoming less of a choice. And I think that that's, that's part of why we're doing this podcast, because we've seen this, like intuitively, we felt this trend without reading any of these articles. Like we, over the last year, have been talking about like, wow, increasingly we're seeing people come to us and to our platform who we wouldn't have expected to see. Like, wow, huh, that's interesting. Um, and, and it's, I think what I'm realizing is that we need to create the training and the community to support those non-traditional entrepreneurs because that, that there's no home for them right now, right? Like you, if you are one of these cutthroat MBA, like a, like type A entrepreneurs, there's a million resources for you. You know where to go. And um, I don't think of us as those people, right? So those resources, no. those traditional magazines and communities and websites and blogs, like those places don't feel like home to me. And so how can we cultivate a similar sort of set of skills, like mindset skills and tactical skills without having the kind of language and the dogma of that traditional entrepreneurship? And to me, that's a really interesting question. Very interesting. Yeah. And I think we've pulled you know, a lot of that into Soulful MBA, which is our business course, our business training course. Yeah. And because we, we, we kind of re rebel against that traditional dogma and that stereotypical, you know, MBA, let's make a million dollars kind of attitude. And I think that people are responding to it because they didn't expect they can succeed in business being exactly who they are. Yeah. No, that's so true. And and I think that the beauty comes in being exactly who you are, but also knowing how to do that on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> because that's a very, that's sort of a new skill for a lot of us. It's like, how do I be myself? But you know, in, on a platform of billions of people, like how do I stand out? How do I get noticed? How do I retain that sense of you know, self and, and identity, integrity. integrity. And how do I put that out there in a way that people will find me and be receptive to it? And that's like a, it's a little tricky and it's a fun, it's a fun puzzle, but it's a puzzle, right? So anyway, yeah. that's, that's a, that's a little bit more about, you know, how we've taken on this concept in our own business. But, but I, I think for the purposes of this podcast, if we just want to call out the fact that this, this economy shift is real we are all a part of it, whether we want to be a part of it or not. And how can we set ourselves up for success so that we can have both like sort of the emotional and um, like philosophical journey in life that we want to have where we can find fulfillment and purpose, but also financially how we can have security. And I, I mean, I think this is sort of like, I feel like this is the question of this generation. Like, how, how do you do this? Like, this is not something any other generation has had to deal with. And, um, 
It's, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's, it's worth thinking about. It's worth like sort of stepping back when you're feeling moments of frustration or questioning what you're doing and recognizing how what you're doing fits in this larger picture of what's happening in the culture around you. So um, it doesn't mean you cannot have a corporate job. It doesn't mean that you cannot, you know, if you're a yoga teacher or work for a big yoga studio, it does not mean any of those things. But increasingly, those options are, are going away. So how are you going to set your life up to work for you in this new, in this new economy? That's the question. That's the question. So maybe we should dive into the joy and hustle. Sure. Yeah. So t- talking about entrepreneurship and all its challenges and um, stress, I'm going to recommend today as the joy for my absolute favorite um, herbal tea, which is Tulsi, which is also known as organic, sorry, which is also known as Holy Basil. The brand that I'm familiar with is Organic India. It's the only one I've ever seen. And in the US, you probably have 10 different options. But in Canada, that's the only one I know of. And I'm recommending Tulsi to all of you because this is an adaptogenic herb, which means that it can adapt to whatever state you're in and it helps restore balance, whether that's physical or psychological or emotional or, you know, any, anything, um, And I love the story behind Tulsi because it's seen as a longevity herb in India. It's one of the sacred herbs. And um, I believe that it just grows wild there. But where the pockets where pockets of it exist, the people around there live a a longer life than the than the average person in India. So they've kind of linked it with longevity. But it's great for handling stress, uh, for helping with endurance and stamina, which are all things that we need as an entrepreneur. So I personally drink it every night. I crave it. Um, it is not addictive, but it, and there's no caffeine in it. <laughs> but I just there's something about it that I just find so soothing and calming. And so I invite all of you to check it out from Tulsi Tea. So I followed Sandy's advice to start drinking this tea about a year ago, and I drink it every single day, and I do notice that it calms me. So I must have whatever state I'm in <laughs> must need calming because that is the impact that I feel from drinking this tea. Yeah, and, and a couple interesting. of interesting things. One, in, in the U.S., we say um, basil instead of basil. Oh, isn't that fascinating? I, you I see, you don't I even don't know notice. That you. And we say herb instead of herb, right? So, like, anyway, that is just something I, I don't to think that's out. a U.S. Canada thing. I think there's it's like tomato tomato. Like people just because I've heard. Yeah, but I know we people do not in, say tomato. Only no. people in England say tomato. <laughs> potato no, potato. I do no. No one says that. <laughs> see, this is what this is funny for you, but no, like actually in America, no one says those words. No, I think I know that here people here say. I think it's to me herb and herb or basil and basil you can say it either way i don't know that, that is it's not true in the united states uh, you and, only and feel say that. free in the sh- feel free anyone to oh like to prove me wrong but i have <laughs> never heard anyone say that before that was not like from another country <laughs> so. oh okay that's really funny i do want to know that then if if that's the only way in the u.s to pronounce those two words nobody says herb in the u.s no <laughs> so everyone's listening to me going why did she say that i think it sounds beautiful and, and exotic <laughs> and foreign <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really st- stood out to me. You've that. never heard me say herb before? I've heard you say it, and I was like, oh, Sandy's foreign. I remember that now. <laughs> That's what I think when you say that. <laughs> oh, the things we learn between our yeah, two countries. Right? We, we so, think we're so similar, but there's so many differences. Yeah, say the whole healthcare and now the herb and the basel. See? 
Anyway, that's just funny. Like that perfectly bookmarks this conversation <laughs> about like U.S. Canada differences in the economy. Oh my goodness! Okay, and the social safety net. Okay, let's hear and the then hustle. the hustle is just this New Yorker article. So it's called "The Gig Is Up." It was written by Nathan Heller in the May fifteenth New Yorker. So we'll put a link to that, and it is available free to read online at least at the time mm-hmm. of this recording for those of you who do not get paper copies of the New Yorker. So yeah, that's it. That's a wrap. We hope that you liked hearing our impressions of the gig economy and let us know your thoughts in the comments on our website. Yeah. And if you have a chance, head over to iTunes and give us a rating. We really appreciate it. It helps us out a ton and we always like to hear from our listeners. So head over there and drop us a comment. We'll see you next week. Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye. Soulful MBA is not just the name of our podcast. It's also the name of our premium business course and community. If you are a wellness entrepreneur who dreams of growing your business online, but you're not clear on your next steps and you wish you had someone to guide you, then we've got something for you. Get Soulful MBA's first syllabus and three free video lessons by heading over to soulful.mba sample. Sample.